Hello and welcome to Beyond the Frame, presented by Film London and hosted by me, Adrian Wooten, CEO of Film London, where we talk to people from across the screen industries about what they've created and how they've created it. In this week's episode, we're discussing documentaries, an art form unto itself that has been a staple tradition of British cinema and television for many, many years, but has recently enjoyed a renewed explosion in popularity, accelerated by the advent of Netflix and other streaming services to real-world events. This week, we have Kevin MacDonald, the Oscar-winning director of Touching the Void, and music biopics like Marley and Whitney, as well as acclaimed narrative feature films like Last King of Scotland and last year's BAFTA-nominated The Mauritanian. We also have John Batsek, one of the founders of Ventureland, the production company behind docs like The Rescue and Sir Alex Ferguson Never Give In. John is also a producer on two Oscar-winning documentaries, no less, including the much-beloved Searching for Sugarman. First, here's my conversation with Kevin MacDonald discussing his work and the difference between narrative features and documentaries. I'm delighted today to uh, welcome our special guest, Kevin MacDonald, to the new Film London um, podcast series, Beyond the Frame. Uh, thanks very much for doing this, Kevin. And, and obviously, as you know, this episode is about documentary, uh, of which you have an enormous amount of uh, experience going back uh, a long way. And, and I, I wanted to start, really, by asking you how you kind of started, because obviously you you have film connections, your your grandfather being Emmett Pressburger, you wrote about him, and the first films you made were all, the first films that we're aware of, I should say, were all about filmmakers. So did you always know from the beginning you wanted to make films? And B, did you think from the beginning, I want to make documentaries? Well, uh, very nice to be here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I got into documentaries because I wanted to be a journalist and I couldn't get a job. And it was the early 1990s and there was a big recession at that time. And although journalism was quite healthy, generally, there was, you know, there just weren't many opportunities. So I was doing a little bit of freelance journalism here and there and picked up a camera. There were these cameras called High 8 cameras, which were like the first sort of semi-professional looking thing you could buy, not too expensively. They were like 800 quid or something at the time and was making little documentaries with friends just for fun. They were little sort of spoof things. And and I think it was my, the, the sort of same desire to do journalism, which I found I could, I could actually satisfy that, that, that desire in documentary by asking people questions. You know, the camera gives you an opportunity to be really nosy and ask people the questions that maybe in normal life might not be quite acceptable. And I really enjoyed that. And it just so happened that I, you know, I'd written this book about my grandfather, who was a filmmaker in the, you know, the 40s and the 50s. And, and I got the opportunity to make a documentary about him. And that became the first sort of longer thing, the first professional thing that I got paid for, really. Um, although, actually, you know, I had done a few things in Scotland for BBC Scotland, very, uh, hopefully they'll never see the light of day because they were so terrible and amateur. Um, but they were kind of like great learning experiences doing documentaries where we'd go out with a character around in Scotland somewhere and you spend a day with them and then you'd cut that into a 25-minute documentary and it would go out the next week. Uh, the kind of thing that doesn't exist anymore on, you know, regional TV. And and in terms of that, I mean, because obviously we've got an audience here that is very interested in, in how they would potentially get into working in documentaries. Um, and I'm just wondering, 
you know, based on that early experience, if you were to be asked that that question now about what advice have you got for for someone who's interested in in entering documentary filmmaking, what what do they need to think about if they if if that's the area that they want to explore in terms of their creative career? Well, I would say it's a great time to be doing documentaries. There's a huge appetite for documentaries and uh, people can actually make a living doing it, which back when I was started in the 90s was pretty was pretty hard, actually. Um, and, you know, the, the barrier to entry was much greater then because you had to shoot on film, usually, if it was going to be professional, if it was going to be shown on TV. And that was very expensive. And nowadays, you can make a professional looking film on your iPhone or on, you know, a little tiny camcorder and you can edit it on your computer and you can make it very, very cheaply. So you can experiment, you can do all sorts of, you know, really interesting things very, very cheaply. And so I would say to people, you know, just start making some films, just start making some things, some films about things that, that, that interest you. And I think that, you know, that, that documentary is, is fascinating because it's a form that, you know, is always shifting and changing. You can do things like you can do an animated documentary. You can do a documentary that's all archive. You can do a documentary, which I did recently, I tried to do, which was like a black screen and just like a podcast, um, sound effects and audio. Uh, you can do something which people reading out their letters. You could, do, you could do so many different things with it. And I think that's what's so exciting about it. It's much more um, suitable for experimentation than than actually making dramatic films where it becomes really you know it's expensive and difficult and because people are putting money into into a dramatic film of a sizable nature they want it to be more conventional because they want to make their money back but with documentary you really can experiment and so i would say to people don't just think that a documentary is like you know doing the bbc news you can do something really creative and inventive with it and that's really interesting because I was going to ask you about how documentary filming has changed in tandem with developing technology. And you've, you've kind of more or less answered that question in terms of the fact that it's now very liberating. There's, there's very little barriers to you being able to, to do a documentary on and to do it in a whole variety of different ways. That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, that, that I, I did, a, I did a, a film 10 years ago now called Life in a Day which was made up of YouTube clips all shot on a single day and edited together. And then we did it again last year. We did Life in a Day 2020. And you, if anyone's interested, they can see those films on, on, on YouTube for free. And it's amazing how the, the, the quality of the images has changed so radically in just those 10 years that actually you don't need to have professional equipment. You can do you know amazing things uh just on your on your phone or on a cheap camera and you know i think that sense that 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 the technology is not a barrier to entry should unleash a huge amount of a huge amount of creativity and you can also obviously distribute things yourself whether it be on tiktok or youtube or whatever and show show your wares show what you're doing to a wide audience you can find reach a wide audience quite quite easily of course when it comes to making money then that's a slightly different thing, but that tends to that tends to follow. You know, if you've got good ideas, if you're telling interesting stories that feel like they have some worth for people, then you know the the, the commissioning editors will come to you, or the advertisers will come to you. And I, I think having good ideas and a creative approach that's 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 all you really need. In terms of subject matter, what is it that grips you? What, what you know? What is it that, that motivates you in terms of a subject? Where do you? How does it work? You finding your subject? 
Well, I think it, it, it happens in all sorts of ways. I mean, the documentaries that I tend to do are often uh, either about sort of, you know, living characters, celebrities, whatever, or they're about uh, stories that happened in the past. So I'm not generally doing documentaries which are, I guess, the purest form of documentary, which is observational films where you're following a story unfolding in the moment. And gen I've done a little bit of that kind of filmmaking, but not, not very much. And I think what I'm a big proponent of the interview and that I love doing interviews and I love what you can get from people doing an interview if you if you approach them in the right way and if you are sympathetic and interested. I think you can get amazing psychological insight from people. And, and, and generally, you know, the film community are quite sniffy about interviews, you know, talking heads, it's very boring. But actually, I think sort of revealing the strangeness and the the odd depths of people that's actually what what really motivate motivates me I'm, I'm interested in the psychology of people but also at the same time then I want to try and tell those stories in a visually exciting way so it's somehow always combining uh you know interesting characters who you're sort of putting that on a, almost on a psych psychiatrist couch and analyzing their mind great characters with you know interesting visual approaches so that's kind of what what I've you know, I guess been fascinated by most of the most of the films that I've done, and I, usually I'm trying to find something in the technique that is new, unusual, um, where I think, oh, you know, actually this, you know, doing it in this particular way means it's something I haven't done before. It's not just talking heads. There's also some other component, um, and yeah, that's often what I look for. I'm quite into the sort of, you know, do you know technique wise doing something different and and i just wanted to follow up on on that in terms of interviews because obviously this this is obviously a key element of documentary particularly if you're do doing documentaries about a, an iconic person and you've done you know you did whitney you did marley you've done you know you, you you talked about being sympathetic you talked about being nosy you talked about being considerate but isn't this also a question of trust because sometimes you're interviewing people who are potentially defensive they're they're precious about the legacy of the person you know there's there's all kinds of potential barriers in the way of you gaining their trust so so how do you as a filmmaker approach that with with those people that you you need to gain their trust you need to to get them to open up to you yeah i mean that that's a really good question i think it's something that you learn about and improve at over 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 time i think and, you know, the, the, the first sort of celebrity film I did was I did a, I did a documentary with Mick Jagger of Rolling Stones. <laughs> but I remember being Mick. <laughs> yeah, back tw 20 years ago. And um, in fact, exactly 20 years, because I remember watching 9-11 on TV with Mick standing next to me in his silk dressing gown. That's my 9-11 wow. memory. <laughs> um, and, um, and I didn't have final cut over that film, and and you know in the end it was taken away from me and recut, and it was a slightly unhappy experience for that reason. Although I you know loved making the film and loved hanging out with him, it was a great privilege. But um, it made me realize, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I think you know you have to you have to sort of try and retain your independence as a filmmaker. You know you need to try and keep control of the of the film. And so now I sort of won't do anything unless I have final cut or close to the final cut of the film you know usually it's then a then a matter of 
persuading the person that you're you're making the film about or their family or whoever it is who's the guardian it's persuading them that actually you 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 know don't have any ill intentions and i always say to them look i i, don't, I wouldn't want to make this film if i wanted to do a take that job well i'm you know I'm, I'm i'm interested in celebrating this person's life and showing their work to people um but there will be things you don't like in it but that's going to make it better and it's going to make it a ra more rounded portrait and you're going to be happy with it. And actually, that's, I, I, you know, one of the, the hardest sort of jobs in some ways I ever did in that regard was doing, I did a film about Bob Marley and it was like, I was like the fourth director to try and the family would always find it not, they didn't like it or they'd fall out or whatever. And actually, I got on very well with them. I sort of gave them my speech that I just sort of gave you and they, and they said, yes. And then we show, showed them the film and there was a couple of things they really didn't like. And for whatever reason, and I took them out because I didn't feel they were that important to keep them happy. And, and at the same time, there were other things where they were like a bit uncomfortable about it, but in the end they were very grateful. And they said, you know, actually sh you've shown light and shade to our father or to our husband or whatever. And actually, you know, this is a much more real and human portrait and we and we actually appreciate that so i think most people just want to be listened to don't they then people want to be understood and if you go in respectfully with an attitude of i'm I, i'm not against you i'm not doing a takedown job this is not i'm not a journalist per se who's you know looking for looking for gossip and scandal i'm trying to understand the person the people whoever it's about i think most people want to be understood mm. And and on that, I mean, is it the case that when you become a successful documentary filmmaker and you've done some of these iconic subjects, are you then kind of, do you find yourself bombarded with everybody wanting you to make one music <laughs> documentary portrait there a, after? There was a period when I seemed to be every sort of old pop star from the 60s seemed to want me to do a documentary, but luckily that sort of disappeared. I think they're all dying now. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm sort of like, I don't, I've been slightly sworn off doing... Um, doing those those kind of films. I, I had I had a really tricky experience trying to do a film about Whitney Houston a few years ago. It was so difficult because I'm a great believer that anybody, you can make a film about anyone and, and make it interesting. You can find a, an incredible story about almost any person on the street you meet. So when it comes to a celebrity, it's like doubly so. There must be a reason why they're connected to the world so much. To us. Whitney was really impossible because you could never find her character and that sort of became the film in a way you could ever find who she is but that was a really difficult and also depressing subject i hadn't realized how again usually i think oh there's going to be light and shade in some, in some story but her story was very yeah was was really a downer and so I finished it and it was like i'm not sure you want to do another another one of those and in terms of when you're actually you've decided on the subject you decide to make it do you have a tendency to want to try and work with the same creative team and and you know when you're making documentaries because obviously it's more complicated with feature films because they're obviously bigger and um and, and logistically much more complicated do you tend to work with the same creative team that you worked with for a long time or do you sort of change it up film by film uh well you know i think in an ideal world we would always work with the same team because i think one of the things i realized about filmmaking fairly early on was that you know, I think when you're when you're starting out, you think oh, I've got to decide everything. I've got to be in control of everything. It's my film, and I'm. And actually, at a certain point, you meet, start working with crew, 
who know much more than you do about whatever, you know, the cinematographer, the sound designer, the, the composer. And you realize, ah, the collaboration is actually so much more satisfying than trying to dictate everything. And you get much better results and people because you're working with people who are experts at what they do. So that's one of the great joys of filmmaking is working with really great collaborators um, to honor, you know, all together to make a, to make a, a, hopefully a great final product. I have heard documentary feature filmmakers and, and actually ones who've also won awards like yourself who have said, you know, that they found it a real struggle to transition between documentaries and fiction features. And a lot of it's to do with performance. And 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 I you don't seem to me to have had any problem whatsoever with with being able to work with actors and work with very famous actors and stars. And and a number of documentary feature filmmakers have said that apart from you know the, all the logistics things that you've talked about and the additional stress and pressure, that actual kind of that notion of the relationship with the actors and, and performance has been a, a real struggle for them. Did you have to learn that? Or was that something because of the way in which you felt about when you're talking to your documentary subjects and, and, and you, you learned how to inspire trust in them, that you apply the same kind of process of trust or, or, or soliciting trust with, with your performers? Well, I, I think actually I well, the first feature film I did, touching, I mean, uh, um, well, Touching the Void had actors in it, but I, I, in those actors, I suppose I used more like kind of, you know, illustrate, you know, they were illustrating things and there wasn't much emotional emoting or, you know, no real relationship kind of stuff going on. And therefore it, it, was, diff- it, was, it was different. It was more illustrative. But when I made the, the Last King of Scotland, which was the first, the first proper feature film I did, which was, which was with um, James McAvoy, and Forrest Whitaker, and that that film, I I did struggle with actors because I, they felt like sort of foreign or you know alien breed almost. You know, I, I kind of thought, I, what I, what do I say? And you know, I, I you know I don't know the language really. And it took me a little while to figure out that you just talk to them like you do normal people. And I think that's that there's such a mystique, mystique around acting and, and, and around stars in particular. But I think what I find is that, that the simplest communication is, is always the best, you know, uh, you know, I'm not believing you. You're too, you know, you feel, you feel too angry. You know, why are you standing up at that moment? You know, I mean, just it's very, very simple things because also you should have talked about all the psychology with the actors, the deep psychology before you get on the set. You know, you've talked about that. You've sat around maybe and done, um, you know, done rehearsals with them or at least read through the script or you've had meetings with them to discuss do they want to do it. And I find that actually, you know, you know, we were saying earlier that about how great it is to collaborate on films and working with people who are really great. I, when I work with an actor like like Tahar Rahim on this recent film, or obviously Jodie Foster, it's just such a privilege to have this tool at your disposal, this incredible, malleable, flexible, incredibly creative people who, you know, they do something and it's usually like, wow, you're adding so much beyond what I what I expected. And, you know, your directions might be, amazingly simple you know could, could you know can you just turn away at that moment so we get the light 
on your face. Okay? It might be just that. That might be the only thing you say to them all day that's about direction, actually, because often they're, you know, they know more about it than you. And I, I think also one of the advantages, I think, of being a documentary maker when working with actors is that we are so used to going with the flow with sort of accepting what we're given. Apart from the technology that we've talked about, there's also been this huge explosion in the exploitation of archive footage, you know, um, you know, that, that, that more and more documentaries are kind of almost valued on whether they've got, you know, a dream piece of footage you have never seen before or you didn't have access to. I mean, I just wonder how you feel about the... I mean, obviously, you you, you have to use archive footage when you've got deceased subjects that you're dealing with. And, you know, but but I just wondered about that balance between between other filmmaking techniques, between um, between interviewing people who are still with us and documentary archive in 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 the films that you're interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just so many different types of different types of films, and it's so very hard to generalize. I think you know, looking at the films that Asif Kapadia makes, that Amy and Senna and these films, which are all archive, you know, it's kind of amazingly creative use of archive and what you can do with that is fantastic. But when you do that, you miss out on seeing the faces of the people, which at certain you know that you might in a in a Talking Head documentary. That, that, that there might be a lot of communication, non-verbal communication going on in the faces and the body language of people. So those, it's about creative, creative choices. I also think that you know there, there's the the, the 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 there's a bit of a tyranny these days from Netflix and Amazon and the other streamers of making these retrospective documentaries which have great archive and. Um, uh, the, 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 there becomes a formula, obviously, and whether it be the last dance or whatever it is. And um, I did one recently, I sort of executive produced a film about Pele that's on Netflix. And it's the same thing, you know, you end up sort of in a formula, even though you don't particularly want to do it. And I think there's a, there's a sort of, uh, there's definitely time for a resurgence for more, um, uh, uh, less constructed films, I suppose, films where you are more real verite, where you're really following people with a camera. And I think, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, that was that was what documentary was. Um, but in some ways it was easier then because people were less conscious of, less self-conscious about being filmed, I think. I think these days, almost anybody, if you bring out a camera, they're like, you know, have you got permission to use that here? I don't want to be on camera or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So, so, or the opposite thing is, you know, or they say, Oh, let me just do my makeup quickly. And then they show you their, 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 their Instagram face. So, so, you know, I think it is harder definitely to make sort of old fashioned uh, verite films, you know, where you're observing life around you or whatever, and people don't notice the camera, but you know, it is still, it is still possible. I thought that there was an absolute masterpiece of this, Last year, it was nominated for an Oscar uh, called Collective, which is oh, Romanian, amazing, the Romanian film. Yeah, yeah, Romanian film, which is an old-fashioned observational film, but totally gripping, thriller-like. And I think that shows you can still do that. And, you know, I'd advise anybody who hasn't seen it to take a look. I'm not sure where it's on, but, but check it out. Yeah, I'm sure it is on one of the platforms, but yes, absolutely, because it is one of those things that you are at the edge of your seat, thinking this is real, but it actually is like a, it's like a investigative thriller. Yeah, exactly, no, exactly. It's really, it's it's really outstanding. So there still are, you know, some really great films made in that in that vein, and I think it'd be nice if there were more. But of course, 
when a streamer is getting involved, and these days a budget for a feature documentary from Netflix is like two and a half million dollars. So it's almost you're almost getting up there to work, you know, to to, to fiction film. Yeah, budget. an independent feature. And film, yeah. so the idea that they're just going to say, oh yeah, here's two million dollars, go off with a camera and just see what happens. They're like, ooh, maybe not. So that's why they tend to do celebrity subjects or subjects that are historical that have archive because you kind of know what you're going to get to an extent anyway. You don't always know exactly, but you know to an extent. So uh, I think, you know, it, it's a shame if all the spontaneity is squeezed out of documentary. For me, the, the best things always in every film I do are the things you're not expecting. When something real happens in front of your camera, and that can be somebody in an interview you know, telling you stuff that you've never heard before or emotionally reacting in a way that you never expected or breaking down or slamming the door. It's like, oh, something real is happening in front of my camera. It's not just, oh, these are the stories I'm authorized to tell you about X, Y, Z. I'm, you know, so, so I think, you know, that, I think, you know, executives have to be careful at the streamers not to squeeze the the life, the real spontaneity out of documentary, which is what, after all, it really is it's so exciting about it, when the unpredictable, unpredictable occurs. That's well. That's a, a very good note, I think, on which to uh, which to wrap. Actually, Kevin, I think uh, that's a and 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 thank you for your time. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether the, I mean you must be working on other projects. Is there anything you can tell us? Have you got another documentary film uh, in the works? I have got a documentary, but it's something I can't really talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> Top secret. Now, I can't really talk about it, but yeah, no, I'm doing a couple of different documentaries and um, a couple of things I'm very excited about. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm, um, I'm busy. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Well, thank you very much for your time and, and talking to us on our new Film London podcast, Beyond the Frame, and um, we'll let you get back to, to the rest of your day. Massive thanks to Kevin for that chat. Now, here's John Batsick giving me his advice for those of you looking to create your own documentaries. Well, thank you very much, John, for for joining us on the Film London uh, Beyond the Frame uh, podcast, this episode about uh, documentary. And because of our audience, which is, you know, a lot of emerging filmmakers, I I always like to start with beginnings. Um, How did you how did you get into to making movies? How did you kind of find this as as your career? Um, well, I sort of, <clears throat> I stumbled into it, to be honest, into documentary making. Uh, um, yeah, I, I stumbled into it. I was, I was a publicist. I was a film publicist. You may remember, I was a film publicist for a decade. Um, I forget which decade it was, but I was working for Palace Pictures, most notably, and Working Title and, and Mainline Pictures, you know, the screens on the green and the hill and Baker Street. And so, so at the end of a decade of publicity, I sort of, I, I, I rather foolishly decided that I'd sort of had enough of that and that I wanted to be a producer. I don't know what, where I thought I was coming from, thinking that I could even be a producer at that point. But I suppose in those days, particularly, first of all, I was young. And second of all, you know, I was I was high on that idea that 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 your you your your ability to be successful is somewhat dependent on the people that you know in the business and of course having been a publicist for a decade i knew a lot of people in the business so so what i did in fact was long story short i i i decided i'm a producer now i need to find a screenplay to make into a movie which i did it was a it was a screenplay written by a lovely writer called tim rose price uh, called the serpent's kiss and i then spent, i spent the next four and a half years trying to produce that as a scripted film, which I did do eventually with the help of many people. 
it was a horrendous experience and an even more horrendous film. Um, at the end of which I came back. It was actually in competition in Cannes in 1997, I think. I think I saw it there, actually, John. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. You're one of the few people who did it. <laughs> Um, so, so I came back from that experience and what, all I knew very clearly was that I didn't want to be a movie producer. Uh, I didn't want to produce a scripted movie because another scripted movie, because it had been a truly miserable experience. Um, and so truthfully, I, I, I wandered into a cinema in a state of some depression on a particular day. I forget when it was really struggling thinking, what the hell am I going to do now? And I wandered in to see a film called when we were Kings, which is, which is a, 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 an incredible documentary about Muhammad Ali. And, uh, um, and literally halfway through the film, I was just had this strong feeling like, I want to do this. I want to make films like this. This is, it's everything that I love. It's sport, it's archive, it's incredible music. It's incredible, true story. It's an incredible, true story. And so, so I watched this film and I walked out of the cinema and I genuinely started, I, I thought, I wonder if I can think of a story that might be similar that, I mean, it seems so ridiculous, but this is truthfully what I thought. And I got into my car and I drove around for an hour or so. And in within that hour, the idea of the Munich Olympics came into my mind. I don't know why or where from or how, but I thought, mm, that's an interesting idea. The Munich Olympics, I remember it was 1972. And I remember that athletes died, but I don't remember, I don't know any of the details. And I, I remember thinking to myself, well, if that happened today and athletes died at the Olympics, I, there's no question that I'd know everything about it. So maybe there's something to look into there. At the time, I was working in an office with Andrew McDonald. We were sharing an office, and his brother is, of course, Kevin. And so I'm friendly with Kevin, who just made that film Total Performance about the making of performance, which I loved. And Kevin and I started talking, and that was the beginning of, of the research that became One Day in September, and that's how I stumbled into being a documentary producer. And, and that obviously an extraordinary um, journey because from, from you know, pain, difficulty, angst and serpent's kiss thinking I don't want to do this to then making a film which then <laughs> wins the Academy Award and, and presumably becomes for you kind of life-changing. Listen, I mean, that's the perfect phrase for it in, in every single way. And not just my career, my entire life changed as a result of that experience. And and actually, therein lies the sort of what I think is a sort of magic ingredient about making particularly feature documentaries, maybe it's all documentaries, but dealing with re true real people, true stories. There's something incredibly grounding, something incredibly life affirming. And there's it's something that gives you a perspective on life that's it shifted my whole perspective on life, um, and 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 so yeah, it, it 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 completely changed how I my ambitions and my intentions and how I wanted to go about the work that I did, um, and 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 from that moment on, from that moment on, I've done nothing but make feature documentaries, and that's twenty something years ago. And and it's it's an interesting question in terms of you as a, a producer, you you found that subject one day in September. How, how has it evolved in terms of, first of all, in terms of subject matter? How, I mean, now you must get people coming from all kinds of different directions, suggesting projects kind of nonstop to you. I presume that's the situation now that you, you don't have to kind of go out there and chase them, but, but how, I'm just wondering how you developed as a documentary producer in terms of selecting the subjects that you thought, you know, deserved to be made into a documentary 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think a couple of things. One is yes, and it's not just now. It's for well over a decade now. We I've been under a constant deluge. I'm very happy to say of ideas that have come from outside. Um, you know, I think I think I think what I one of the things I, I, I there are a couple of things that I had that in my sort of toolbox that helped me enormously. I think, and one was believe it or not the 10 years as a publicist, because I wasn't just a publicist, I worked particularly at Palace Pictures. So I worked in amongst a very, very creative, very eclectic distribution company that was releasing, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Carla Sarah movies and Jim Jarmusch movies and, and absolute beginners. And so I had this, I had this sort of view, I had a viewfinder of the complete cross section of, of, of movies and movie audiences. And I think that, that, that sort of instilled in me a sense of, Okay, so this can play to these sort of this sort of an audience, but this can play to this sort of an audience, and so I had a sort of, I had a sense. I I think I had a sense always. It may have been misguided, but I had a sense of seeing a subject and having a sense that this could play a, a, a sense of what the widest audience a, a particular subject could play to, and so I would gravitate towards subjects that I felt had the chance of hitting a bigger audience. And and in terms of that subject selection, how will you? I mean, with with one day in September, you came up with the idea, and and you've done that on a number of occasions. But how how does it work in terms of the the in a sense the talent relationship with the relationship with the filmmaker? Um, will you will you still t- find a subject and then think who could I get to work with to make this, or are you are you more uh, influenced by the filmmaker who approaches you with an idea absolutely both ways i often have i subjects that come to me and i think okay who who can do this you know you know i i love to look go out and find filmmakers who i think could be right for projects and equally often filmmakers come to me and i am thrilled to try and help them realize their vision so again i feel very privileged because i get the opportunity to do both and if you look at my career i've worked with Dan Gordon 15 times, Greg Buck six times, Amir Barlev four times, Laura Ferry twice. And, you know, I've, I've continued to work with directors repeatedly. And then I've also worked with a whole bunch of first timers, which I've loved. Um, so it's a real cross section. And in terms of the way in which you've seen, because what seems to have happened during your career, you've partly been responsible for this, is documentary has kind of exploded. I mean, it, 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 it became something on the big screen at the time, you know, when you're talking about when, when we're Kings onwards, it, it became something that was absolutely legitimate as a big screen, not just a television experience, but then the appetite on television. And then with the streamers has just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it seems to me that documentary is, has probably never been as popular as it is now. For sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's been on that trajectory with a little dip at a certain point, but it's been on that trajectory since when we were Kings one day in September, hoop dreams, Buena Vista social club, you know, it started then. Um, and, and now it's, yes, it's, it's definitely the most popular it's ever been. Um, which is, which is, you know, I, I love it on the, the few times that people say, and it seems like you have been the central part of that experience. I, it's a lovely thought to think that I have been in the middle I've been a a cog in that wheel um and 
and now you know it's it's yeah it's gangbusters it's it's the documentary's never been so popular there've never been so many people in the business of financing it there've never been so many people wanting to make them and now you know in many respects i think the skill is making sure that those films that are made as feature docs really have the legs to be feature docs um although of course with the streamers now what does a feature doc even mean because for all that documentaries do still have cinema lives you know as we know 99.9% of the documentaries that Netflix make go straight onto yeah. the platform so they you know they don't need a cinema life but in terms of the subject if if you were you know if you were giving advice to a you know an, an emerging filmmaking team in this, in this sense what advice would you give to somebody in terms of wanting to make a a, a documentary potentially wanting to develop a career making documentaries um you know how are they going to in a sense be able to stand out from this incredible kind of you know ocean of of projects and and prospects that are being pitched to people i mean i'd say a couple of things i'd say at the very outset you, one would do well i, I you know I, I you can laugh at me but i would say you know to to find a partner who knows more than you who does have experience in the business who can help you do what it is you're trying to do don't be don't be um overly protective don't be over don't don't let the one's natural insecurities mean that you're scared of teaming up with whoever it is you know and a more experienced producer who can help you on that first journey i think that's something that is can be invaluable and um and then the second thing i'd say is <clears throat> you know and again it's probably a bit corny but you know the to me what excites me about any film we've ever made is 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 the sense i have that there's the the very solid opportunity to make a film that is greater than the sum of its parts that the core story is the core story but you have the ability with this story to go much much well to go much broader to to get in much deeper so that a film about Marlon Brando is yes about Marlon Brando's career but if you've seen the film it's about life it's about death it's about parenting it's about self belief it's about insecurity it's about neurosis it's about so much um and and again what that gives you is the possibility to to strike a chord with someone who doesn't even know who Brando is let alone give a damn who he is you know because there's something in that film that that resonates with someone who knows nothing about him I mean that's incredibly good advice, and I'm just thinking in terms of the way in which you work, because I think this is this again is is relevant. What what do you think are the key ingredients? And I don't know whether this is different in terms of feature film or, or or documentary production, but what do you think are the key skills a documentary producer needs? What do they? What's absolutely critical to be in their toolkit? They've either got to learn, or they've got to be able to find out about and do. Um, that's a really good question as well. I, I, actually, I, th I thought you were going in a slightly different direction, but I'll answer that. But what I would say is, I think a, I think what's essential for anyone wanting to be in this area at all is just to watch lots and lots and lots. You know, my dad brought us up watching movies from the Marx Brothers on television to, you know, we just, I just think it's, I work with directors, some of whom watch lots of films, some of whom don't watch lots of films, and I can tell the difference. And I mean, the 60s, the 70s, that watch movies, I think, and I don't just mean docs, I mean movies, watch, immerse yourself in films. In, in, I think that's, I think that's absolutely vital. 
Um, and then specific skills, you know, I do think, and it's kind of easy for me to say looking back, but I think, I think, as I said, being not allowing one's insecurities to, to, to sort of dictate how you go about trying to do, trying to produce documentaries, which means know the stuff you don't know and know the stuff you do know and be open and be, be, be smart enough to let people who know the stuff you don't know, help you figure out how to do it. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I had, I think inevitably everyone let, is somewhat led by their egos. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the amazing things that I learned from making a film about a group of, mothers and sons and daughters whose fathers were all murdered at the Olympics was, was, you know, um, was, it enabled me to, to do away with my ego in terms of how I went about making my work. I mean, what is ego when you're talking about the experiences that these people have had? And I think, you know, often one finds <clears throat> that one's working with people who need to be the last voice in a conversation who, who, you know, who need you to, you know, it's very easy to allow oneself to get carried away with feeling you have to prove yourself. You know, I would say, just try to observe and learn. And, and as I said, be smart with yourself what you, about what you know and what you don't know. And, and also be kind to yourself. No one knows everything off the bat. You know, it takes time to get experience to really confidently know how to do any job. Um, so, don't think twice about, as I said, getting people to help you who know more than you. And in terms of the word I wanted to use, trust, because obviously with documentaries, whether it's talking to the families of people involved in One Day in September or or dealing with, you know, you have to have the trust of the, the subject or the, and the trust of the people who know the subject, if the subject's deceased. And I just wondered how important was it to be able to negotiate that as a documentary producer when you whether you're making a subject something about a subject who's alive or a subject who's dead there's still got to be a a kind of relationship of trust and is how important do you think that is to your skill as a producer i mean it's really important to me it's not important to everyone but it's deadly important to me and i i i those relationships when you make documentaries with the with the subjects of or the relatives of subjects of the films you're making are precious and incredibly important and so so it's it's always been incredibly important to me to as you say to be to earn their trust to be respectful to be humble to like I said not let my ego get in the way and and you know I think that that does take that's not doesn't come easily to everyone and I think I think it's something that it's something that is has been vital to the films that I made. You know, for instance, when we made the Tillman story, myself and the director Amir Barlev, at the outset, we we spent two weeks with Pat's widow, literally just meeting every day in California, talking about what this film might be, what it could be. They were the whole family were very unsure about the film. They and what we did was we spent the time to 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 for them to get to know us, for them to trust us, and for them to be able to help us almost with them figure out what this film might be. And I, I that's one of the most amazing experiences of my whole professional life. And uh, as evidenced by the fact that my first child, who's nearly three years old, is called Saul Tillman Batsek. 
it's not often that you name your kid after your work and that's what i did with their blessing and that's because that family means so much to me and and in terms of you you've made you've made such a diverse range of, of work we talked about music work you've talked about sport or sport related but, but broader than that but you've also you know you, you have tackled really difficult subjects you know controversial subjects subjects which are, are very sensitive and i just wanted again as a as a producer is a cornerstone apart from trust is a cornerstone of a documentary producer's raison d'etre got to be bravery I mean, it doesn't have to be, but 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 again, you're right. I, I, you know, it's 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 a very exciting feeling when you think you're tackling a subject where you might be, you know, breaking down barriers, or you might be opening people's eyes, or you might be, you know, you might be on thin ice in terms of 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 trying to break through trying to break through injustices or anything like that. So so. So yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have always. Whenever I'm making films of that sort, I feel, you know, inc- sort of, I feel a big responsibility. But it's also incredibly exciting to think one's trying to tackle something that could ultimately be, make some sort of a difference. Yeah. And and that's interesting because going back to the music films in that sense is that, and and clearly that that passion comes out. But there is it. it Presumably, this area, I mean, it's true of all areas of documentary making, but this area, because there is such a volume of documentary music production, which can be, you know, as you were talking about in Marlon Brando, it can be essentially an extended video or a, a, you know, or a hagiography. Presumably, you have to be even more kind of scrupulous about about the subject selection and, and about the engagement with music because because there's just such a plethora of it being made almost continuously. Yeah, yes. I mean, again, you do and you don't. It depends what your intentions and ambitions are. We want to, you know, maybe maybe it may sound sort of pompous, but I always want us to be making films that make people go, oh, my God, you, you're not going to believe that film about Eric Clapton or whoever the hell it is. You know, I don't just want to knock it out. And and so, so yeah, I I... There's a process that one I go through, an intellectual process, a creative process. Like, what is what is this subject, and is it something that I think we can really bring something to, and is it something that I think needs that brought to it? So, you know, I I wouldn't do a film if 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 an artist was like had Final Cut, or you know, even when we worked with the Rolling Stones, I suppose if they'd said, look, you can't say anything about drugs, I I, I would say, right, well, then we're not going to make this film. I'm not entirely sure I'd have had guts to say, well, then we're not going to make this film. But but it was important to me that we didn't, that they allowed us to not pretend that Keith was taking a lot of heroin during that period. And they didn't, they did allow us to to touch on that. And, and that's important if you want to be taken seriously. Yeah. We're running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you about we talked a lot about subject matter, how you get material and, and development. But in terms of development, in terms of your development cycle, you, you, presumably you've got a number of, you know, with Ventureland, your relatively new uh, collaboration, um, you've got a number of things. Do you think that the cycle in terms of development of you, you, you nurturing projects um, is different from if you were making narrative feature films it, it, do you think it's a quicker process or you know it's it, similar 
I'm very happy to say it couldn't be more dissimilar. <laughs> you know, I have great friends making in, in the scripted business and making their movies. In the time they make one movie, we make between three and seven documentaries. Um, because as you know, and as I know, development of a feature can take anything from, I mean, I think the shortest is probably what, a year, two years, I don't know. And the longest is 15 years, you know, um, doc development. And there's much more of it these days than there was when I, when, you know, 15 years ago, it's months, you know, and it's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's months and it's, and sometimes it's, it's a phone call. Do you want to make a film about Marlon Brando? Yes, please. Okay, let's do that. That's development. I keep saying Marlon Brando. I could, you know, I could pick others, but um, um, you know, development's a completely different ball game in docs, which is again why I love it so much because because you don't waste time. And and last, you we talked. My my last question really is, you know, we've talked about the landscape of documentary and how you know how fertile it is. Would you say it's a good, you know, in terms of funding? Because obviously the streamers are out there. Some people are ambivalent because of, you know, ownership, IP, you know, uh, you know, how much can an independent producer control? Are you optimistic about the the funding landscape for documentaries? I mean, obviously you're, you're coming from an incredibly experienced position where you have access to finance. But in terms of starting out, do you feel positive that there are sources of finance that, that young producers can secure if they've got a good enough story? I, yes, I, yes, I am. I mean, I think I think it's harder, and the sums of money are lower. Um, but 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 I think more than ever there are places for for even first time or inexperienced producers with smaller ideas to still be able to access a decent amount of money to get to get their films made. And I think generally the landscape, as where we started, it's it's it, this conversation. It's it's. It's very, very healthy. There, you know, there are a lot of people in the business of wanting to make feature documentaries, and and in that regard, if you've got a great idea, it doesn't matter whether you've made twenty docs or no docs. If you've got a great idea, then you can make it at the highest level. If you're smart about who you team up with and the decisions you make and the places you go, that's a brilliant place to stop on. I think actually, John, that that sort of sums uh, it up very, very well. Well, thank you very much for for joining us on this uh, Film London podcast. And and yeah, I'm very excited to see the Alex Ferguson, the Jackie Collins, and especially uh, the, the the Chaplin. So I'm I'm looking forward to that that trilogy of uh, of films you've produced recently. And uh, and and good luck with all of them. Thanks very much to John Batsek for joining me for that conversation. Next week, we're talking science fiction with some fantastic guests. The costume designer behind Ant-Man, V for Vendetta and Eternals, Sammy Differ, joins us. We're also talking to Gregorius Kithriotis, creative director of sci-fi game Sable, and Gavin J. Rothery, a director and concept artist who's worked with filmmaker Duncan Jones, as well as on some of the biggest video games of the 21st century. Until then, this has been Beyond the Frame, presented by Film London, and I'm Adrian Wooten. Thanks very much for listening.